Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. Today on the show is Amelia Baker, aka Cinderwell, who's just released her third album, Cadence. This is the second track on the record. It's called Overgrown. Starlings burst The bleeding sun The stone underfoot Comes undone California, but has lived in Ireland for around a decade, coming to call County Clare home. Cadence, the title of Cinderwell's album, refers to the cycles of our turbulent lives, to the uncertain tides that push us forward and back. It was recorded at Hen House Studios near Venice Beach in Los Angeles, and there's a heady mix of Irish and American folk and country music influences. Indeed, it was an encounter with Lancome then lynched about 10 years ago that made Amelia think of coming to Ireland and now she has Cormac McDermott from Lancome playing on her new album. Cinderwell's previous record No Summer was a love letter to her new adopted home in County Clare and the whole idea of home what it even is crops up throughout Cadence as well. There's also the theme of creativity artist creativity or lack thereof We talk about all that and more on the following interview on the TPOE podcast, including a track by track in the second half of the chat. Cinderwell has some tour dates coming up in the month of May. She's playing in Clears, County Kilkenny on May 18th, two nights at the Cobblestone in Dublin on May 19th and 20th. She's in Collins in Cork on May 26th and Phil Grimes in Waterford on May 27th. I should say... We talk about a video of Overgrown that came out a week ahead of the release of Cadence. The video was shot by Miles O'Reilly at the Quiet Lights Festival in Cork last year and is well worth watching on YouTube. Let's listen to the end of Overgrown and get into the chat with Amelia. Overgrown, overgrown, 
So just this week, uh, I was watching the video that you've put out by Miles O'Reilly of your track Overgrown, which was shot at St. Finbar's in Cork during Quite Lights Festival last year. A couple of questions about it. Was it all one take? How cold were you? I think that that festival was in like November, wasn't it? Yeah, it was cold. I was thinking about that today. Um, I think we did two takes of that one. And um, yeah, it was a little cold. Um, Margie, who helped produce it, she graciously brought hot water bottles so we could like stick them under the clothes when we were walking around. So thanks, Margie. <laughs> she's uh, She's got good experience like that. It was nice to see her in the video as well. Yeah, she's great. Uh, what kind of guitar were you playing in that? Because it looks amazing. Is that your regular guitar? Or is that one that you just busted out for the special occasion? <laughs> yeah, that's my regular guitar. So it's a Recording King, which I got back in like 2012, maybe. And it's a, I'm looking at it right now. It's a resonator guitar. So it's got this resonating cone on the inside. And um, it's my understanding that the company called National, they started making these guitars in like when people were in brass bands and they needed, you know, they needed something loud, but, um, but not amplified. So that's why I got it. Cause I was playing in a folk punk band at the time and I just knew that it needed to be loud. Uh, but then it's kind of just like come with me everywhere. And um, it's copper. I think it's brass plated steel and it's been through a lot. So it's kind of got like green oxidizing going on on it. It sounds like once a guitar player finds like their guitar, that's it for life, is it? Like you can't imagine parting with that one, I'm presuming. Yeah, I kind of can't. I'm not like, I'm not super specific about guitars and I didn't, I didn't expect this to be, I don't know, something that came with me so many places, but um, it, I love the, you know, because it's a resonator guitar, it's got this kind of like sustain and kind of rattle to it. So yeah, it's just ended up kind of it, it makes you play a little bit differently it's not it's not as easy to play as uh some other acoustic guitars so it's kind of forced me to play in a particular way so i'll hang on to her for a while <laughs> and uh it's about five or six months on from quiet lights but let's do a quick review how was the festival for you if you can remember much about it did you have fun down in cork i had such a good time um Jonathan, who put it on, he was actually in Los Angeles doing it remotely. He did an amazing job. Margie was amazing. Um, yeah, the lineup was just great. I couldn't believe that. Like, so our gig was in Collins, and um, and then Owen O'Canawan played afterwards, and it was just magic. I was very happy. And then after that, we like ran over to St. Luke's to see Martin Hayes. So just like very dreamy. I kind of couldn't couldn't believe it was all happening. It was a really nice time and they, and they really took care of us. It's just a great, it's a great festival. They're just doing an amazing job. So we're talking about Cadence, your third album, which is just about to come out. I think it'll be out by the time people hear this episode. I'm always interested in artists who, you know, they've made their first album. They've made their first couple of albums, maybe. Um, could you feel a progression in yourself, maybe as an artist, as a person making a third uh, Cinderwell album? Yeah, I definitely did. I think... One thing that felt pretty distinct was just being a little less um, in control of the process and a little less specific about how everything was going to happen. Just a little bit more relaxed about it, I guess. I think the album that I made before, I had a really, really specific vision about it. And I 
I was really going for a less is more approach. And then with this one, I just kind of allowed more things to come in and played with the people who were, who were available and who were around. So, but I also like in the process of writing it and, and recording it, um, I was very much like in a creative block. So that committing to like finishing the album kind of helped me get through that, even though it was, it was a challenge. So I, I didn't go into making it feeling particularly inspired. I just kind of like, kept going with it and pushed through those things. And then it's kind of amazing to actually see it done because I, there were definitely points where I was just like in my own head, like not, not particularly inspired by playing music or, you know, doing this as a, as a career. So I'm kind of grateful that I like had that project in order to keep me in it. Wow. That sounds tough. It was like, why were you in a creative block? Why were you thinking of giving up music? A nice, easy question for a Tuesday. <laughs> well, I think it's relatable probably to everyone on some degree, just that we were in a pandemic and, you know, those early times just really made you question like, what's, what's important in the world? Um, and just way too much time to think. And I don't know, you know, like getting into your early thirties, thinking about what you're supposed to do with your life, all that kind of, you know existential situation um but yeah I think it had had a lot to do with the pandemic and even as I think a lot of us were like trying to play again um there were just so many roadblocks and it was yeah hard hard to stick with it so did you write this album during the pandemic was it done beforehand and you just decided like let's just get these songs down I'm trying to think well no summer came out in the pandemic like some, you know, July, 2020, but I had written and recorded that a while before, you know, there's always this, like, you, you like make the thing and then you wait such a long time for it to come out, um, kind of like trails behind what you're actually doing. So I think, I think, uh, I probably started to write some of the material kind of early pandemic, although I wasn't writing a ton, but yeah, as, as the whole thing kind of lingered on and I was going back and forth a lot home and back here, um, those like stop and start eras of the pandemic is when a lot of it was done. So this creative block, is it kind of like writer's block or was it just you didn't have the jump start in you sort of thing to actually get it down? What was it that made you push through? I remember like when I was younger and I just always was so excited to play music and write and it was like always this thing that was sort of distracting me from other things, you know, like, like I didn't want to study I wanted to play I remember thinking like my worst fear was questioning doing this was like like losing that drive in any way and like kind of questioning my path and then and then that totally happened so yeah I think I just I I didn't like have faith or trust in in why we make music um but yeah, I don't know. I guess just the actual process of writing things and like hearing them and and processing what was going on internally um, is is ultimately what helped me break through and commit to doing it again. Um, I also did the, I don't know if you've ever heard of the artist way. Mm. It's like this kind of new agey self-help book, but lots of people have done it. It was even just the act of like, it was almost like admitting you have a problem. I was like, okay, I'm buying this book. I'm going to start doing this thing for 12 weeks. And which is mostly writing every morning and kind of um, 
being honest about your desires towards your creative life. Um, I, it honestly helped a lot. And so did you finish, did you do all of it? The the yeah, artist's way? Yeah, I did the 12 week, wow. 12 week program. <laughs> Wow, I've only ever I think like I might have made it past the morning page. The morning pages are at the start and it's like three pa three fool's cap pages, I think a day. You know, I always just kind of end up forgetting about them and then kind of thinking 12 weeks just seems like such a long way. I've never <laughs> I don't think I've ever made it two week two, let alone past it. But you stuck with it. I did stick with it. I, I was the same like friends would bring it up over the years and I was always like, I don't know, I'd do a couple morning pages and then give up. But yeah, I think I was just a bit like desperate so i did it but yeah it's very self-directed you're supposed to take yourself on artist dates which i didn't do very often and there's a lot of writing prompts in there which are like channeling your childhood self and all that i didn't do all of those but i did a couple <laughs> um and so how are you feeling like now as an artist as a creative person do you think that you've like once you've broken through that creative block, you're in a good space that you've made it through onto the other side now, or have you thought about making more music or? Yeah, I think I, having now like gone through the worst fear of, of questioning everything, I'm, I'm aware that it could totally happen again. Uh, but I do feel like I've learned more tools to kind of like stick with engaging with creativity, even if it, even if it's not something that's like, career driven or public even. Um, but even last night I was, I was actually like writing some music and it struck me that like normally when I have something coming out, an album coming out or something, I I'm actually not writing. So I was pretty happy just to know that I was like still in that space, even though, even though like I'm on social media, like posting about this other thing. So I think, I think the creative juices are flowing. I'm happy to say. <laughs> Great. You're talking from County Clare at the moment. Um, you're from California. Tell me about how you made the journey. How is County Clare now your main home? It's a complicated, like, uh, it's sort of, I've been going back and forth a lot. I feel like I sort of have like two, two homes. Um, I came to Ireland for the first time in 2013 after a, tour in Europe um, with a project called Blackbird Rom. And I was just getting really engaged with playing traditional music at that point on the fiddle. And um, I think I'd, I'd played a lot of different instruments, like not, not great. And so I wanted to, I wanted to like pursue an instrument and a tradition and uh, really dive in. So I kept coming to Ireland on and off for a couple of years then. And then I did the master's course at University of Limerick, the Irish traditional music performance in 2017. And then I was here like into the first lockdown of 2020. And then since then I've been going back and forth. But I think because I, I was living in Ennis at the time I did the course, um, County Clare has like started to feel like home, especially now that I've ventured more west towards the coast. Mm -hmm. Where did the interest in Irish traditional music come from? I played a little bit when I lived in Santa Cruz, there was like, kind of punks that started playing tunes and there was a guy in town uh jim oakton who's like picked a couple of of the buskers off the street and was like come over to my house i'm going to teach you actually how to play this music but that was all a bit of different things like there was old time tunes and there was cape breton tunes and then on that tour in 2013 
we played a gig with Lancome lynched at the time and I heard what they were doing and, and, and they were telling me about Dublin and these sessions and I just like had to, had to come check it out. So that's, that's where like the, the link over to Ireland started. Great. And so you came over in 2014 ish thereabouts, is it? Yeah, I think it was like September, 2013 was the first time. Okay. And so I'm imagining you like arriving fresh off the plane and like, where's the next session that I can go to? Like how <laughs> long does it take going to them before you maybe pluck up the courage to play in them as well? Or were you confident enough to start straight away? <laughs> You're like knocking someone off their, uh, off their chair to play. Yeah, kind of like I'm embarrassed to look back at that time and, <laughs> and realize, um, yeah, just like the confidence of youth or whatever I'd I, I was not fresh when I arrived. I'd been on tour for like months and um, was like really exhausted, but really wanted to come over. And yeah, I just started sitting in um, over, overly confident. But I think that that uh, lack of self-awareness like made me learn quicker because I just jumped right in and made all the mistakes and um, and really put my ear on stuff, just like trying to pick out the tunes. So I, I teach fiddle now and I have students who like they they prep for like years like they don't feel like they're ready to go sit in and then I try to encourage them by just saying like you you can technically just go go in there and give it a try and is there a difference between like east coast sessions and west coast sessions like I'm imagining like the ones in in County Clare are they like like extra expert level or anything like that I mean, I think it it's all mixed. There's just so many amazing musicians scattered around here. And like Ennis is like a, a hub for amazing traditional musicians. So yeah, the the level there is is really amazing. But you can find you can find slower sections around the county and but I'm just I'm I'm just like always taken aback by how many good players there are here. And are you still playing in sessions regularly? Yeah, I'm playing in sessions. I'm teaching which kind of keeps me going and uh yeah I do it when I can it's I'm a little less like hyper focused on playing trad as I was when I first moved here but it's it's still like yeah I try to go at least once a week great um it sounds like you found a good community of musicians like you've already mentioned Lancome I know that Ruth from Landless made made a video for a scourged lament you've got a Miles O'Reilly video as well this week have you found the Irish music scene welcoming yeah incredibly so I think there's like such an such an amazing uh community of of not yeah exactly like you said like not only musicians but visual artists and um it it has been welcoming I I think the first couple years I was here I was really feeling like an understudy or something like just so trying to learn the music and I didn't bring a whole lot of music into those sessions. And, but then when my album came out, when no summer came out in 2020, I think that kind of like, then I felt the the broader community of Irish musicians kind of, I felt like I could become a part of that a little bit more. So it's almost come full circle like you mentioned Lancome back in America making you think about coming over and you've got Cormac McDermott playing on the new album now what was it like making music with him it was amazing he's 
a genius. Everyone says it, but it's actually true. Uh, yeah, you're right. It did feel full circle and really special to have him collaborate. He just, he just thinks of like the way that his mind hears music and, and creates music is just so unique. And, you know, like I play fiddle. So I, I did some of the parts on the album and I had thought of some arrangements that I wanted, but um, he just like blew it out of the water. Like just thought of things I would have never thought about. So we've talked about Ireland. Tell me about California. Do you go home to, is it Santa Cruz often? It's a Santa Barbara. Santa so a couple Barbara. flowers north of Los Angeles. Yeah, I didn't used to. Like after I moved away for college, I, I didn't spend a whole lot of time there. And then because of the pandemic, I I spent, I've been spending a lot of time there. So yeah, I've kind of like developed a new relationship with home and it's it's been very nice. Very good. Do you hear the difference in the type of music that you're maybe making or playing, you know, between Claire and California? Yeah, I always find like, it's so like America is such a huge place, even California is such a big place, even just like Los Angeles County, there'd be so many different kinds of scenes and so I feel like I can hear what like Irish music is but I I couldn't tell you what like California music is you know we just have so many cultures and so yeah I, I can't I can't wrap my mind around like what what particular sounds are from there the press release does mention the Laurel Canyon years I don't know how big an influence that was but is that an era of music that you're kind of particularly drawn to that kind of 60s 70s stuff yeah, I grew up listening to it because of my parents and my uncle being like a deadhead and oh. um <laughs> but then I but then I didn't want I, I kind of like when I first started writing music, I didn't want to reference that at all. And I wanted to I don't know, just like I felt maybe it was too familiar. So I I was like wanted to listen to more punk and more metal and not not listen to that stuff but now I've embraced it like <laughs> I love Neil Young like I can't, I can't deny it <laughs> <laughs> and what about the Grateful Dead are you a fan of them because I've tried listening to them a few times in the past and I just like don't get it I'm kind of like how was this the biggest band in the world or one of the biggest <laughs> bands in the world like it's it's a daunting like discography as well so I don't know where to start so I think I've just like set it to one side I'm just like not can't do the Grateful Dead I, I totally understand that. I think I probably, I don't know how I would have like gotten into it either if it hadn't just been on in the house all the time. Um, yeah. Yeah. They, it's a lot of, it's a lot of jamming. Uh, I went to a Grateful Dead concert once actually. I mean, obviously it wasn't all the original members, but I think seeing that put a lot <laughs> into context. <laughs> the the and, fans like. Yeah. The whole the whole feeling to it and the people and it I could just only imagine what that would have been like when they were like in their in their heyday Crick in the side of the frozen moon is a lake the size of our sunken room we weathered the night in a drunken Another trick in the tide And you're gone too soon
let's talk through some of the songs on the album, maybe even all of the songs on the album, if we have some time. Um, we'll start off with the opener, Two Heads, Grey Mare. You say that these songs have a feeling of being lost in the woods, but writing from that place, that they were written in a time of getting unstuck. I guess we've kind of already talked about what you mean by getting unstuck, but is that what you wanted in the opener to kind of set the scene? It's very much almost in nature and maybe lost in the woods. Yeah, that's true. I don't think I thought about it in that way, but I guess it is very much lost in the woods. Um, well, that song, I just had like a really fun kind of story in my mind about um, someone like getting getting lost with like a, a vision, you know, like it's sort of referencing a Selkie, like something that came out of the water. Um, but and, and then like waking up and, and it's gone, but it kind of to me, it kind of represents like this desire that we have when we're in a really stuck kind of like nebulous place to find something to take us out of that, whether that's like, you know, a person or drugs or like just something to like pull you out of that misery. So yeah, the person in the song kind of represents this like escape that then disappears again. Overgrown is the next song. We've talked about this. It was the video that you put out with um, Miles O'Reilly. You say that this song took its time to form and it's the first song that you wrote in a major key since probably playing in Gem Brokers and it's about love but also death. So first of all, tell me about Gem Brokers. This is your former band from Santa Cruz, Santa Barbara, is it? You put out a couple of albums with them. Yeah, it was like my first band in college with um, a couple of girls that I met there and um yeah we we just like made I think looking back like pretty wild music because we just were all collaborating out of this like not very self-aware place and there was lots of harmonies and um yeah so that was that was remember first it was an amazing time of life and overgrown I think I, I think that was actually when I started writing during the pandemic. Like I remember writing the guitar part on the couch when there was nothing happening. And yeah, it's kind of like about realizing like when you are with your people that you love, like they're not finite, but like you're all gonna like age. Like things things will change and like just like in nature, like things like just are constantly changing and dying. Oh, that's pretty it's pretty dark, but is like if it's in a major <laughs> key I'm presuming that's major key kind of usually means more positive, minor means a little bit more um, melancholy, perhaps. Um, but so this is kind of a positive sort of a song, is it? Or is it dark? I guess that's the I don't know. It's, a little, it's very much both. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so is it always minor key with Cinderwell or are all the other tracks on Cadence in minor key? Keeping in mind, I have like no uh, musical brain in me. <laughs> I always find it really interesting. I've heard that like um, in Western music, we like over time, because at some point, I don't know the exact year, like someone composed something in a minor key that was sad. And then it's just like evolved to be this way that we understand major and minor. But um, it's not in all cultures. It isn't like a standard that major is happy and minor is sad. So I feel drawn to minor keys kind of more than major. Um, there's also in music theory a way to like not use the major 
or minor. So it's kind of the more like unclear whether it's major or minor. So returning is the next track. Is this about the idea of home? I'm imagining you like maybe going back to California or something. This idea that what we think of as home in our head is different once we actually get there. Is that the idea behind this song? Yeah, definitely. That kind of feeling of, um, yeah, you like think, oh, when I get there, it's like all going to be okay. And then you return home. And, you know, I think we all have our like, well, yeah, some conflicting relationship with home. And I think it also could be like returning to other things in life, like, um, like, something that you used to do, like returning to, to playing music. If you stop playing music for a long time or returning to a friendship or a relationship and just that it's always like this kind of, uh, process that is more complicated than you might've thought in your head. Is doing the morning pages, did that contribute to some of the lyrics? I'm imagining this is an idea that like people might explore, like from morning pages. Do you try and adapt some of those ideas for the lyrics or anything? Do you try and work on lyrics doing those morning pages? Yeah, you know, I so I've always written a lot, but one thing in the morning pages, she says at the beginning, you're like, you're just supposed to write them and not read them. And because it's supposed to be just like kind of clearing out the pipes, like it's not necessarily going to be art, what you're writing. It could just be complaining or whatever. So I don't, I actually don't think I used a lot of it I, I think I did what she said I just hit it away and never really looked at it oh, wow you're able to resist going back and just saying like <laughs> oh is there is there a song idea in here I think it just honestly it, it wasn't even resisting it it was just like it was not <laughs> material was I was like, told not to do it I'm not gonna it, do it yeah and it was just like mostly complaining or you know, <laughs> nothing good uh, the title track, Cadence, uh, I'm presuming that that's you playing fiddle. I don't know, is that is that where Cormac comes into it? Where maybe on the album is Cormac? Is he kind of throughout it? Yeah, he's on the first two tracks. And um, so the actually, yeah, on Cadence, it was myself and then this string player, Jake Falby, who lives in LA. And he's collaborated with some really amazing people. He's like a composer, recorder, string player. He plays with Julie Byrne. So he's good friends with Harlan Steinberger, who recorded the album in Los Angeles. So Harlan kind of connected us and Jake came in for the day and recorded a bit who else is on the album without putting you hopefully too much on the spot so there was Jake there was Cormac Neil Heppelston uh he plays with Jim Getty he plays bass on a couple of tracks he did that stuff remotely um and then my really good friend Philip Rogers we went to high school together college together and then reconnected to make this album so Philip is playing drums and he and Philip a part of the um what's it called compositions like we kind of he like helped the, the songs form a lot 
we probably had more time to rehearse than everybody else. And yeah, I think that's it. Oh, and Nick, Nick Wilbur, who mixed and mastered it. He also played some organ on it. He's very humble. So, so you've got like these kind of collaborators who you go back a few years ago, who I'm guessing like you trust with the music to bounce ideas off of then. Yeah, I, I used to play with people kind of more consistently, but just given like life and the pandemic and the location, I really, I, I tried to work with people who were local and, or also remote. So it didn't require like getting everybody in the same room together, which was interesting. I hadn't done that before, but yeah, I've collaborated with lots of people over the years. And I really, I love that this project is like an opportunity to do that. I can kind of find find people wherever I am and bring people in at different times. Well on Fire is only 90 seconds, but it's quite a dramatic 90 seconds. It's mostly just your voice and minimal music underneath. Um, maybe tell me about where you found your voice, where you started singing. Were you singing from a young age? Yeah, I, I guess I, I did some like um, summer theater camps as a kid and started singing there. Uh, and then, yeah, I had like childhood friends that once I was in high school, they like encouraged me to sing when, so in high school, like some of my friends and I just started jamming and at each other's houses and stuff. So yeah, I did, I did sing a lot. I know i never took it like very seriously. And I think in some ways I, I don't still, um, but I guess I guess I was lucky in that way of like getting to perform a little bit as a kid because I didn't feel too precious about it now. On fire The to the idea of the session singing like are you able to sing like unaccompanied that big kind of stirring kind of sound which is kind of how you sing on well on fire that's kind of what I was thinking when I kept going back to it that it's you know you could imagine you just standing up and just sing this completely unaccompanied yeah totally it takes that in a pub like if someone asks you to sing and and it's loud in there it's like 
the really good singers that'll like actually it's really interesting if someone starts singing kind of quietly and then everyone like slowly puts their drinks down or slowly stops chatting uh crow is the second longest song on the album after the title track i think anyway goes through quite a journey it sounds like it must have been a fun track to do it almost like goes off the rails it almost goes like a lancum track you know really kind of uh wonky or skew ways towards the end yeah. so i'm guessing you had a bit of fun a couple of versions of this track probably exist yeah that's actually very true it started uh the first time i recorded it with a friend of mine um a different drummer <laughs> like turned into this very like neo folk thing with like there was like a gong in the room and i was like this is very wrong like i just realized like that wasn't gonna make the cut um so then philip kind of developed this other beat that's like more kind of circular and cormac came up with that very haunting kind of like horror movie string part so yeah that that track was definitely a little bit more of a hodgepodge and like didn't take it as seriously and it was fun to to like get it to the point where it was recorded oh so Cormac is the guy who is is he the reason why it kind of goes like almost left field there towards the end yeah I think so and actually the part initially he had recorded it like all the way through the last part so it was under the vocals too um but we ended up like bringing it down a bit and then bringing it back in although sometimes I feel like that was a mistake it was just just left it in don't think about the mistakes. Don't think about the mistakes. <laughs> I walk in a waterfall in a hole in the middle of it all, and I Gone the Holding feels like the most kind of country, US country type of song on the album. I don't know if I'm right there. And maybe if you just talk about the mindset between US and Irish folk and country, is it something that you're that you're thinking of that you maybe want to honor both sides of the Atlantic? Again, I suppose, like you were saying, America is so big that and so many different sounds. I well, I think that I think the way that the guitar is tuned and like the way that's kind of played on that track is a little, is a little bit banjo-y. So I don't know that wasn't necessarily intentional, but I can, I can hear that with it. Um, And also that song was like kind of the most literally about leaving Ireland and going home like during COVID. So um, maybe it just naturally kind of fused into having a little bit of both. Had you been away from America for a good few years because of the pandemic and and other things that had been a few years since you had actually gone home that you were maybe pining for it in a way that you hadn't been before? I think so. Yeah, I'd I'd been like over here for school and so I wasn't going back home as often, you know, like maybe two weeks at a time. 
uh, once or twice a year. And then, and then when the pandemic started, I already hadn't been home for, I don't know, six months or something. And then had to stay away for a lot longer. So it was like a really long, long stretch. And I was definitely missing it. And also like had to make a, a big decision about whether I'd go back or not. Cause it was that time where you couldn't like, just you couldn't really travel. A Scorch Lament, we're on to the last two tracks of the album. This is the third single off of the album. You say in the press release that the song itself is a meditation on the impending massive changes of our times from the voice of a blackbird, a commonly featured messenger character in traditional folklore. Is folklore a big interest for you? I know you mentioned the Selkies on the opener earlier, which I'm guessing are another facet of folklore. Is that something that you kind of come back to or just... Is it an interest of yours that you're investigating further? Yeah, I I find it's not something I'm always trying to like see the world through or um become like become an expert on or anything, but I like when I'm writing, it's fun to like find a theme. So I was thinking about the blackbird and I knew that it had like folk connotations. Um so it was a little bit selective and like want, wanting it to represent, um, yeah, like the the voice of like saying like, all right, you guys, it's time now. Like this is like a turning point. And finally, I will close in the moonlight. We might talk about the influences on the album. We've mentioned like other influences maybe on your life, maybe a little bit of the Grateful Dead in there as well. Um, <laughs> I, I think of Waxahachie a lot when I listen to you. Is that a good maybe touchstone for you what other influences um did you have going into making cadence i don't think i was thinking about it a ton i mean i definitely was just like trying to listen to really good songwriters like i was listening to a lot of joni mitchell and and neil young like i mentioned um but i didn't have yeah i i do listen to a lot of music and i like love a lot of music but i especially when I'm going in to record something, I, I try not to have too many reference points anymore. Yeah, that track, like, it just kind of reminded me of something I maybe would have written when I was younger, first writing music, when I would just, like, write stuff on the piano. I thought when I recorded that track that I would add a whole bunch of stuff to it, and then Nick Wilbur, who actually recorded that track, was just like, no, it's done. That's it. Can't add anything. Oh, okay, great. So, so that's kind of, like, the whole idea of, you know, being... Um, a little bit freer with making your third album then is it you're kind of like okay hands off I'm I'm done you're you're okay with maybe you know being open with your influences and everything as well that this song doesn't have to sound like this and that or the other yeah exactly I was more open with adding stuff so maybe being like okay sure let's add another harmony on that thing like not being so strict about keeping it really stripped back and then also yeah, being more flexible to someone saying, I think that track is fine as it is and it doesn't need to add something. So yeah, I was a little more um, maybe listening to, to people's thoughts on it. And so how do you feel about the album as a whole? Like you've come, it sounds like you've come through a bit of a journey artistically as well. Are you able to like be proud of of this album and kind of the journey that it took you on as much as, as anything? Yeah, I definitely am. I feel, like I said, like it was just, because it had been such a process and there were parts that were so difficult. Um, when I actually held the vinyl in my hands the other day, I was like, how did this happen? Like, it just didn't seem like 
yeah, it seemed like a lot had changed. Um, and yeah, I am really proud of it. I, I feel like I really just like want to write good songs. And I think there's at, at least a couple good songs on there. And um, I think it kind of like, it's, it feels complete, but it also feels like a stepping stone. And like, I, I want to record another one already. Oh, well, that's good. Do you see, do, do you know what, what's next uh, musically maybe for Cinderwell? I just, yeah, I just hope that I keep the, keep the creativity going and write more songs. And I can sort of, there's like things on the album where I can sort of hear, hear what could possibly be next. Okay, great, great. Well, look, thanks for chatting through it all. Sounds really, really great and hope it does really well for you and uh, look forward to hopefully catching you on tour in May. Thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. What could change the winter's course? What could temper the fall? What did you notice when the dawn turned to dust? The hour turned one and all. Will you shelter away from the storm? Green light over 
the city, the small.